come out on a Wednesday night to study your Bible. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this passage and use this study to teach us from your scripture, to move in our hearts, Lord, that we might see uh, the value of studying scripture. Father, we love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Exodus chapter number 21. And Wednesday night, obviously, we've been studying through the book of Exodus, and we find ourselves in Exodus 21. Now, if you remember last week in chapter 20, God gave us the very well-known Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments were just uh, general commands for daily living and telling us how to live righteously and how to please God. Now, in chapter 21 and in 22 and and really through the rest of the book of Exodus and and in Deuteronomy and and stuff like that, uh, God begins to give us what are referred to as diverse laws or ordinances. They're they're not these general, you know, just uh, type of way of living uh, type things. They're very specific laws with punishments associated with them, and uh, they're very thorough. And keep your finger there in Exodus 21, because we're coming right back to it. But let me just show you a scripture real quickly. And I'd ask for you to go with me to the book of 2 Timothy in your New Testament. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. And I want you to understand something. Uh, Exodus 21 is one of those passages that I read, uh, you know, and I think to myself as I'm preparing a sermon, I think to myself, what am I going to say about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just real, uh, uh, it, it's just lost. This was the, you got to understand that the children of Israel, you know, we, we refer to the first five books of the Bible as the law. Uh, and yes, it's... The, you know, the laws of God and God's Word and Psalms refers to uh, God's Word as a law. But this was literally their law for the land. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was the law of the land for them. That's like we have a constitution and we've got all these different ordinances and different penal codes or whatever. They had this, uh, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was their law. Now, you, what you got to understand is obviously we don't live in Old, Old Testament Israel. We live in the United States of America, in the state of California in 2012. We've got our own laws that we must abide by. And we don't really live our lives based on the laws and punishments in Exodus uh, chapter 21. But oftentimes people will skip over. Like, I I know many uh, preachers in the past will do a series through Exodus and they'll skip over chapter 21. Because they'll say, well that doesn't apply to us today. That's, you know, Old Testament or whatever. And sometimes people won't even read as they're reading through the Bible. They won't read Exodus 21. And if you're there in 2 Timothy chapter number uh, 3. Look at verse number 16. I'd like you to understand something. The Bible says, all Scripture. Now that word all there means all. It means everything. It says all Scripture, notice what it says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Bible tells us every single verse is given by inspiration of God. So something God thought was important enough. I mean, do you understand? God, Almighty God, the Creator of the universe... You know, the, 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 the powerful being that gave you life thought Exodus 21 was important enough for him to speak it out of his mouth. Because it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. That means it, it, it can help you. In, in which way? It, it, can bring, it can earn you something. It, it, there's profit there. There's something to be gained from it. In doctrine, that's teaching. In reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, I understand, go back to Exodus 21, 
when you read Exodus 21, it's not one of those moving passages that brings a tear to your eye, you know, as you're reading it. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's not Psalms 23. <laughs> you, you understand? You know, there's some books of the Bible, and there's some passages of the Scripture, you read them, and they move you, and they motivate you. That might not be Exodus 21, but I'd like you to understand that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and we can learn from all Scripture. And I'd like to just point out a few things to you out of this passage tonight, and next week as well, as we continue through these diverse laws and ordinances. And I'd like you to understand a few things. If you look at verse 1, it says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. So he said, he said I, I just gave you the Ten Commandments, Ten general, you know, ways of living. But he said, I'm going to start giving you some specific laws, things I want you to do, and procedures, and, and uh, punishments associated with them. And if you look at verse 2, it says, If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Now the first thing we find in Exodus 21 is we find God's law on the subject of slavery. Now you say, uh, why, why does that matter? Well, you know, today, some people, if you've been out soul winning before, you've been, or talked to people, I remember I used to have a co-worker that, that I tried to give the gospel to, and he was an atheist, he didn't believe in God, and he had all these arguments about, you know, the Bible and stuff. And one of the arguments that he gave why he didn't believe in God, he said, I can't believe that you would believe in a book that condones slavery. Because he says, you know, God allowed the children of Israel to have slavery in the Old Testament, and that is so ridiculous, and this and that. And, you know, God's law, uh, we study there, and we read there that God does allow slavery, but you've got to understand a few things about slavery in Old Testament uh, Israel. Some people today will ridicule the Bible because they say that it condones slavery. Now, you've got to understand something. The Bible records events of cruel slavery. See, as Americans today, you use that word slavery, which, by the way, it's not found in the Bible. Bible uses the word servant, uses the word bond servant, like in bondage. They, they, they were what we would consider a slave today. But today, you know, we, we think of the word slavery, and automatically every American goes, their mind goes to like slavery, like in America, you know, where uh, black people were enslaved. But the Bible records that type of slavery. It's, it's recorded in Exodus, when the children of Israel were enslaved to Egypt. Remember, they were beaten, and they were killed, and they were, you know, that was a cruel, very cruel uh, type of slavery. The slavery, quote-unquote, you know, I don't even like to use that terminology because it's not found in Scripture, but the slavery that those who oppose the Bible, who say that God condones, you know, that, that God allowed, was drastically different than that of the Israelites in Egypt, or even the type of slavery that was experienced in America uh, at its inception. The slavery that got allowed, and here's what you got to understand, the servant you know, mentality that got allowed, oftentimes these people were sold into slavery, listen to me, not because, see, you know, you think of like slavery in America, or you think of slavery even in the Bible, and these people were just caught, you know, they were just taken out of their homeland, and they were, became possessions of an individual. Oftentimes in the Bible, when somebody was sold into slavery, it was many times because of their debt, or their family's debt. You know, they got themselves into a lot of business. You know, they, they, they couldn't discipline their finances. They couldn't discipline themselves. They'd get money and they'd just go spend it all and buy this, buy that, put on credit cards. Found themselves not being able to buy something. And unlike the United States of America where you're just allowed to steal from people, because that's what it is. You're stealing from people when you take things and you don't pay for them. In the Bible, God says, I'm not going to allow that. He says, you want to purchase something and you can't afford it? He says, then you're going to have to pay for it. You know, there's a time, I don't think they do it anymore, but there's a time in this country. When you walk into a restaurant, 
You'd order a meal and you'd eat it up and then you didn't have enough money to, to pay for it. You'd work that off. You'd go wash dishes and you'd go mop the, you know, the floor and, and you would work that off. That's what the slavery was in the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Then let me prove it to you. Look at verse 2. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, look what it says. There's a time limit on it. Six years he shall serve. So you didn't own an individual. You know, for this, the rest of their life, you're my belonging now. There's a time limit, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So, the maximum amount of time you were allowed to have a slave was six years. And I was like, I mean, if you, I mean, some people are in so much debt. I mean, some, there, I'm sure there's people sitting in this room right now that are in so much debt that six years worth of slavery sounds pretty good <laughs> if it means getting rid of all your debt. You know, I mean, that was like the maximum amount of time. But it's like, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. There's a time limit on that uh, slavery. Not only that, but in the Bible, okay, in, in the children of Israel, or if you think slavery in America, those slaves were abused. And it was okay by their standards, because that, that was property of the slaveholder. In the Bible, if your master abused you, it got you off the hook sooner. You were allowed to go free. Uh, let me prove it to you. There in Exodus 21, look at verse number 26. Exodus 21 and verse 26. Look what it says. And if a man smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out of his, uh, the manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. So you see, you weren't allowed to just, you know, abuse a slave. Do you understand that? You weren't allowed, you wasn't just like, oh, now this person, this is my property, they belong to me, and I can just hurt them, or I can just beat them. You know, if, if you hit your slave, and you caused their tooth to fall out, you just gave them their freedom. You just forgave whatever thousands of dollars they owed you or whatever the uh, problem was there. Because it was a different type of mentality. The servanthood and the slavery was a different mentality than what we, when we think of when we automatically you know, assume that it was just like slavery in America. But today, people will use it and say, the Bible condones slavery. No, the Bible doesn't condone slavery the way we think of it. This is working off the debt that you owed and, and for different things that you were brought into uh, slavery. Now, something to understand about slavery also was that there was a uh, procedure to obtain your freedom. If you look there at Exodus 21, look at verse number 3, real quickly. It says, If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. Do you see that? If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master had given him a wife, she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. So he's saying, when you went into slavery, you were single, you go out single. You came into slavery with a family, your whole family goes out free. You don't keep that. But, he, but he's saying, you know, if you came in as a slave single, and your master gave you a wife, he said, that, that wife is, is your master's. And oftentimes in different scriptures you'll find where a slave was allowed to go free and then he was able to go earn money so he could purchase the freedom of his family. So you can see that there's the options there of being free. But let me show you a few things. Keep your finger there in Exodus 21. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 15. Deuteronomy, uh, you got Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy chapter number 15. Look at verse number uh, 16. Deuteronomy chapter number 15. And look at verse number... 16, Deuteronomy 15, 16, the Bible says, And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee, 
and thine house, because he is well with thee. Do you see that? Uh, keep your finger there in Deuteronomy 16. Go back to Exodus 21. Keep your finger there because we're coming right back to it. But look at, uh, look, look at verse number 5. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. So, God is saying here, that, and oftentimes something that would happen is that the six years were done, right? And the master would come to the slave, the servant, and he said, you're free to go now. And he says, I like my job. He says, I like my master. I like my wife. I love my wife. I love my children. He said, he said I, you know, I love this home. Because oftentimes, you got to understand, oftentimes in these families, these servants would be treated like family. And after living with someone for six years and being around them and their family for six years, spending Christmas with them and Thanksgiving with them, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, obviously that's what they are spending holidays with them and be, watching their children grow up. Hey, you become part of the family. And oftentimes the servants would say, I don't want to go. But I want you to notice something. Go back to Deuteronomy 16. Look at verse. Uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 15. Look at verse 16. It says, "And it shall be if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house. So the the servant loves the master. He loves the house because he, the servant, is well with thee. I want you to notice the servants in the Bible were treated very, very well. They were treated like family." They were treated like, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, and oftentimes the masters would give them wives. And they didn't have to give them a wife. They didn't have to give, allow them to have those relationships. You know, I mean, think about, if you give someone a wife, think about having a slave. And then you find him like, uh, you know, you, you're trying to like hook him up. You're the master, you know. <laughs> and you're like, hey, you know, you should go on a date with so-and-so. And, I mean, these, these people were treated very well. And oftentimes these servants would say, I don't want to go out. I want you to understand that that type of mentality is drastically different than what happened in the United States of America. You understand that? People were running for their freedom. People were running away. And people were dying, you know, they were wanting to, to bring their family. That's different than what happened in Old Testament Israel, where these servants would after six years say, hey, this is the greatest job I ever had. I've never had so much money. I've never had a place to live like this. I love my master. He's a great boss. They say, I want to be, I want to be a, a, a servant here because I'm treated well. And I want you to understand, when people say, you know, if anyone ever says to you, well, the Bible condones slavery, you got to understand, that's a totally different uh, picture than what, you know, our world just assumes is slavery. Look at verse 6. Then his master, because remember the guy says in verse 5, I will not go out free, right? Well, what happens when a servant... It's funny, I didn't plan this out, I promise you I didn't. I don't know how it worked out, but I preached a whole sermon on being a servant on Sunday morning, and then we deal with being a servant on, on Wednesday night. God may be trying to get something across to you, I don't know. But the servant says, I will not go out free. Look at verse 6. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Do you see that? There was a procedure where you would take a servant who said, I don't want to leave, I'd like to serve you forever. And there was a procedure they would go through that would allow that servant to become a servant of that master forever. And it spells it out for us there. What would they do? they take the master, or take the servant, to the judges. He would tell them, hey, this guy wants to be my servant forever. They would go back to the house of the master, and they would go to the doorpost, the Bible tells us, to the door of the doorpost, and then they would bore his ear through with an awl. And what that's talking about is literally, you know, taking the guy's ear up to the doorpost, and that word bore there uh, means to make a hole or to like drill a hole, and they would 
pierced through that ear into that doorpost, and when they finish that action, you know, obviously, you know, you know, people today will have like earrings pierced, and it's not the same thing, okay? Don't think, you know. Oh, the Bible says I can go get my ear pierced. That's not what it's talking about. But, you know, it would leave a mark there. And what that mark meant is that you were a servant of someone forever. And not only did it mean that you were a servant of someone forever, but it meant that you were serving a good master forever. A master you did not want to leave. And obviously the Bible tells us that everything in Scripture, you know, I used to read this and I thought to myself, what is this talking about? Or what is this this all about? And, And I've listened to a lot of preaching in my life. And I've never heard a pastor really explain what they thought this meant. I've heard a lot of pastors say, I don't know what that means. And I'll be very honest with you, I can take a guess as to what it means. And I do know this, that in the Bible, everything in the Old Testament often is a picture or a figure or a shadow of things to come. And, um, you know, I can give you my, uh, what I believe it means. But, you know, honestly, it's my own thought. But you say, what do you think it means? Well, if you look at verse number 6 again, look what it says. Then his master, right? shall bring him unto the judges. Do you see that? The judges were the ones who made the ruling. The judges were the ones who declared people guilty or innocent. The, uh, the judges were the ones who allowed people to go free. Or, or, or the judges would be the ones who would, who, you know, you would bring someone and say to the judge, this guy owes me money. And the judge would say, okay, he's going to serve you for, how much does he owe you? Well, he owes me $10,000. Okay, he'll serve you for three years. Those were the people that made that decision. The master, at this point, would take a servant who was free. Do you understand that? To the judge, and say, this guy is free. He has liberty, but he's willingly wanting to serve me. So what are you talking about? Go with me real quickly to... Let's see, where do I want to take you? Go to 1 John, chapter number 2, in your New Testament. Keep your finger there in Exodus. 1 John, chapter number uh, 2, towards the end of your New Testament. Uh, very, very back of the New Testament. 1 John, chapter number 2. The Bible says in 1 John, chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. 1 John, chapter number 2, and verse 1, the Bible says in 1 John, chapter number 2, and verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, notice what it says, we have an advocate. You see that word advocate? That's a courtroom type terminology. We have an advocate with the Father. Notice what it says. We have an advocate with the Father. Who's the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you see that? The Bible tells us, because who's going to judge us at the end? God the Father. At the great white throne, who will be the judge? God. But the Bible says that we have a master, we have an advocate, who will take us to the judge, and he will be our advocate, uh, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Go with me real quickly, uh, uh, towards the left in your New Testament, towards the book of uh, uh, 1 Timothy, that's where I want you to go. 1 Timothy, you already went to 2 Timothy earlier. 1 Timothy, uh, chapter number 2, look at verse number 5. Let me show you another courtroom type terminology. 1 Timothy, chapter number uh, 2 and verse 5. 1 Timothy 2 5 says, For there is one God. That's the judge. And one mediator. You ever went to court? That's a courtroom terminology. Oftentimes you'll go to you'll go to court and before you go see the judge, they'll have you sit down with a mediator, right? And the Bible says, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Go back to Exodus. Look at verse look at verse uh 6. 
Then his master, I believe the master there represents the Lord Jesus Christ, shall bring unto him the, judge, uh, the judges, I believe that represents God the Father. And he shall also bring him to the door. Notice the terminology there. The door, or unto the door post. Do you see that? You're there in Exodus 21. Move back real quickly to be in Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12. Do you remember when we were in Exodus 12? Do you remember when we were studying in Exodus 12? We were studying the Passover. Do you remember that? Exodus chapter number 12. Look at verse number 7 real quickly. Exodus chapter number 12 and verse 7. The Bible says, And they shall take of the blood. Remember when they had to have the Passover? They kill that lamb. And then they take that blood. And they shall take of that blood and strike it on the two sides post and on the upper door post of the house wherein they shall eat it. Do you see that? Remember they would take the Passover and they would take that lamb and they would take the blood and they would apply the blood on the door post, the side post, and the upper post, the door post of that house. And what did God say would happen? When the angel of the judgment would come and he would see that blood, he would pass over, he would pass over. What was that a picture of? When we studied, I'm not going to go through it. The lamb represented Jesus Christ. The blood represented his blood. The door post represented the cross. The wood. And it also represented the, 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 your heart. And as that blood would be applied, he would pass over. The judgment would pass over. Hey, I'm not afraid I'm going, I'm not afraid that God's going to send me to hell. You know why? Because the blood is applied on the doorpost of my heart. But that doorpost represented the cross, I believe in Exodus 21, when the master brings him unto, Exodus 21 verse 6, then his master, Jesus Christ, shall bring him unto the judges, God the Father, he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, the cross, and his master shall bore, I told you that word bore there, means to make a hole or drill. You say, what does that represent? Well remember they bored, they pierced the Savior, and they nailed him on the cross. You remember that? Remember he said to the disciples, See the prints of my hands, and, and he would, and he would have those those uh, piercings there, or those holes there in his hands, and his feet, and on his side. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you would then take this servant and bore him to the doorpost, because the Bible says, "Remember, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live; yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." Look what it says. It says, And his master shall bore his ear. You say, well, why does he do his ear? Again, I'm just telling you what I think. You say, well, why, why would they bore his ear? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 17 that faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You get saved when you hear the word of God and you believe it. But it must come through hearing. So I believe, I, I just believe it's a picture of the fact that there was a servant who was in debt. But now has been made free. Hey, I don't have to serve God. I want to serve God. And I choose to serve Him forever. And He says, well, let me pour you onto that doorpost that represents God. That's just what I think. Maybe you can come up with something better. I don't know. But I believe that that picture there is a picture of a servant. You say, do I have to serve Christ? You don't have to do anything. Number one, you get to serve Christ. It's a privilege to serve Jesus Christ. They well, I have to go soul and you, know, you, you get to go soul no, I, I, You don't have to do anything. You can go free. He paid your debt. You're free to go. You're good to go. Remember? He said, he, he, they, they chose, they said, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. He said, I love this home. He said, I'm very well treated. He said, I don't want to go. Look at verse 7. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. 
If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed to sell her unto a strange nation. He shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he hath betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage, shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three things unto her, then shall she go out free without money. Continue talking there about servants. And I want to, I don't want to take the time to do this because I'm, I don't want to spend all my time on it. But I do want to say this, that the Bible is very clear. If you study Ephesians, if you study uh, uh, the different uh, uh, scriptures there, the Bible, pretty much every time that the Apostle uh, uh, Paul is talking about Serving people, he says. Mass, he says, servants obey your masters. And, and let me tell you something. He was talking to slaves in those days. And let me tell you something. Paul, the apostle Paul, did not find it. Look, the Bible says, if you can have freedom, have it. It's better to be free. But God, but Paul, I, I want you to understand this. And I don't. It really doesn't matter if it offends you or if you don't like it, because I really don't care. It's what the Bible says. But Paul did not spend his ministry. Advocating for people's rights. You understand that? He didn't go around saying, You're a slave and we ought to pick it and you should get freedom. He said, If God's made you a slave, then you'd be the best slave you can be. That's what he said. But today you've got so called preachers and so called ministers going around and all they care is about freedom and this and that. You know, people like uh, Jesse Jackson. And what's the other guy's name? I can't even think of that. Al Sharpton. So-called ministers. I've never heard them even open up about, and I'm sure they do get their little, you know, whatever watered-down version and preach a little sermon. But all they, you know, they, what are they doing? Are they preaching the gospel? Are they getting people saved? Do they even pass the church? They just show up at everywhere they can show up and try to advocate for people's rights when that's the last thing Paul was worried about. Now look, get freedom. I'm against, you know, oppressing people. I'm against uh, slavery like it was. You know, praise the Lord for that. But that's not, you know, we have not spent our lives as Christians just advocating for our rights. A servant says, it doesn't matter how you treat me. I'm a serve God. And by the way, I'm free in my heart. Lock me up in prison all you want. I'm, I'm free in my heart. God saved me. I don't owe you nothing. He talks about becoming a servant. Number two, I want you to see, if you look at verse number 12 there, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. We saw God's law on slavery. Number two, I'd like you to see God's law on the death penalty. God's law on the death penalty. Now, last week I talked to you about how in Exodus chapter number 20, the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. And today, Christians say, It's wrong to kill. It's bad for you to be in the military. It's bad for you to, you know, uh, kill people like on a battlefield, and you should never kill anybody. And today, Christians are even against the death penalty. And you say, Pastor Jimenez, are you against the death penalty? Or Look, I'm for what the Bible's for. And the Bible's very clear there. Verse 12, look at it. He that smiteth a man, so that he die, shall be surely put to death. Now what you've got to understand is this. Just go with me real quickly. Genesis chapter number 4. We've got to do this fast, because I'm already out of time. Good night. Genesis chapter number 4. See, you guys like to pray a lot, and your spirituality messes up my sermon. Genesis chapter number 4, look at verse number 9, real quickly. Genesis chapter number 4, look at verse number 9. Genesis 4, should be easy to find, first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 4, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, do you remember this story? First murder in the Bible. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Very well known, right? 
And he, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. So we find here in the Bible the first murder. Cain killed, murdered his brother Abel, right? What happens? God, understand this, God did not punish Cain with death. Say, what did he punish him with? Look at verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, because remember, um, actually look at verse number uh, 11. This was his punishment. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So his punishment was that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to uh, work with the ground. They wasn't going to yield to him his strength. And he was going to be uh, a fugitive and a vagabond. And that was the punishment that God gave the first murderer. Not death, right? In fact, he went a step further. Look at verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. So God did not punish Cain with the death penalty, but Cain said, People are going to kill me because I killed my brother. And in verse 15, God even protects the first murderer from the death penalty. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whose Whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now you say, well, was it right for God to do that? Hey, God can do whatever He wants. <laughs> right? And at this point, God hadn't set up the death penalty. But God, not only did He not punish in His mercy and His grace and His love and His patience, not only did He not punish the first murderer with the death penalty, He actually protected the first murderer from being slayed, uh, uh, killed by the people. Say, uh, how did that work out? Look at verse 13. Same chapter. I'm sorry. Drop down to verse number 19. That's where I want you to go. Verse 19. Down the road, the Bible says, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal. He was a father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was a father of all such as handled the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain and Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wife, notice what Lamech says. Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain, that means he killed, a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. So he says, here we find the second murder recorded in the Bible. And he said, I've killed a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Look at verse 24. It, look what he says. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. You see that? So Cain kills Abel. God punishes him not with the death penalty and protects him from being killed by other people. And then down the road we find other people committing the same sin, and they're using Cain to justify themselves. They're saying, well, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So they're justifying their own sin with the fact that, well, it wasn't that bad when Cain did it. God, if God protected him, if God avenged him, won't God avenge me? And look, the next event in Scripture, you say, what's the next event in Scripture? Well, if you read your Bible, you've got there, Genesis chapter 5 is just a lineage. And then chapter 6, we find ourselves at the Noahic flood. 
You say, well, why did God decide to destroy the earth with a flood? Look at Genesis chapter 6, look at verse 13. Look what it says. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with, what's that word? Violence. Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. One of the reasons that God had to destroy the earth was because the earth was filled with violence. Say, why was the earth filled with violence? Because one man killed his brother, and God did not institute the death penalty. God allowed him to live, and in fact protected him from living. And then other people began to kill, and say, well, if Cain got away with it, then I should be able to get away with it. And before you knew it, the entire world was just a very violent place to live. So God said, good night. I repent that I even created these people. He said, I'm going to have to destroy this whole thing and start over. And what is the, one of the first commandments? After God destroys the earth with the, with the flood, guess what was one of the first things that God says to Noah when he gets off the, off the ark? You want to take a guess? Look at Genesis chapter number 9. Look at verse uh, number... Uh, Genesis chapter number 9. Look at verse 4. And you got to understand this. Noah literally, in chapter 9, got off the ark. And in verse 4, God says, But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of every man, and at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of him. And I want you to notice this. One of the first things that God says to Noah, when he gets off the, off the ark, He says, look at verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. When God said, okay Noah, we're starting over, He said, but we've got to set down some rules. The next time, someone wants to shed man's blood by man shall his blood be shed and God instituted the death penalty because he said you said why do you institute the death penalty as a deterrent of violence as a deterrent of murder and people say today the death penalty doesn't deter anyone look it deters the guy who did the murdering he won't get a chance to do it again and you know, today people act, you know, today everybody acts so uh, upset about the death penalty. And people, you know, let me tell you something. I, I, you know, obviously I agree that people need to be taken to court and they need to have a speedy trial, which is not what they have today. But today these murderers just sit in, you know, death row for 60 years and die of old age with health care and cable TV. You say, why are we going to solve the prison problems in, in America? If you start killing a bunch of these guys, they'll take care of it. Amen. Open up a bunch. You, you say, well, you think you should... Look, the, that guy in Colorado needs to die. Amen. He needs to be put to death. He needs to be taken out and hung or shot or, or taken care of. The world is so insane. Here's what I understand. The world says, well, he was crazy. And I think to myself, duh! <laughs> of course he was insane! Only someone who's insane would do that! He needs to be put to death! He's dead! Well, he was crazy. Okay, so a normal person doing that, they can put to that. An insane person, only an insane person would do that. What? Do you not understand? What is there not to understand? You say, well, why, well, why don't people get that? Because they don't get the Bible, that's why. The death penalty. But, but you got to understand something. Go to Exodus 21, look what it says. God not only instituted the death penalty for those who kill, and this isn't an all-inclusive list, there's more... But look at verse Exodus 21, look at verse 12. He that smiteth the man so that he die shall be surely put to... And by the way, let me just tell you something. You don't find in God's government... I'm not talking about Rome, and I'm not talking about Egypt. But I'm talking about in God's government. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The government that God set up. You don't find a prison system. Find one. Show me a prison system. 
Show me a law in the Bible where God says, well, because you did this, you're going to have to serve five years in prison. He says, I owe people money. Then you're a servant to that guy you owe money to. That's what he said. You know, you have to financially pay back, or you would get beatings, or you get whatever. But there's no prison system. You know, and I, and I think that, that that's the right way to do it. Obviously, we live in America and whatever. But, I, I, you know, I don't really agree. I don't really think it's, it's wise of us to have this, uh, you know, system where we take young people, the worst young people in our society, and, and put them in a location with the rest of the worst young people in the society, and let them work out, you know, seven days a week, so they come out like Superman. And then you wonder why it takes 15 cops to bring down one guy. It's like, well, uh, he's been working out for the last 15 years. You know, I, if he steals something, then beat him, like the Bible says. Give him 40 lashes, like the Bible. The Bible advocates corporate punishment. Let me tell you something. You take some of these punks out there with a little gang thing and whatever, and you take them out in the public square and beat them with a rod 40 times, say one, I promise you you're going to deter crime. Or you put them to death, and you'll definitely deter crime. Look what it says. He that smiteth a man so that he dies shall be surely put to death. That's not Christianity. I'm pretty sure Exodus is Christianity. Notice what it says. And if a man lie not in wait, so this is someone who is not waiting to kill someone, but God delivered him into his hands, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Now you gotta understand, that's what today in our uh, terminology we refer to as manslaughter. That's when you kill somebody by mistake. You didn't mean to kill them, there was some sort of an accident or something happened. It was your fault. But you didn't mean to kill him. And God allowed, and we're not going to get into it tonight, but he allowed these places, these cities of refuge, where they would be able to run to. And remember, remember when we were studying the last chapter in Ruth, we are talking about the, the uh, near kinsmen who would avenge the person's blood? Well, if you accidentally killed someone, and you got yourself to one of these cities before the near kinsman got to you, then he could no longer, you know... Uh, avenge his blood. Does that make sense? And I don't have time to go through that. That's another uh, chapter for another day. But look at uh, verse... Uh, so, so he says, you, you accidentally kill somebody, you don't have to be put to death. Only someone who does it... Look at verse 14. He said, well, look at verse 13. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hands, then I will appoint thee a place whether he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously... That word presumptuous means stepping out of bounds, stepping out of the law, upon his neighbor... To slay him with guile. That word guile there means deceit. So this man is doing it on purpose. And let me tell you something. This Colorado guy, I don't care if he's insane. The guy planned the thing out. The guy, I mean, it was premeditated. And even if it's not premeditated, I mean, you take a child and you kill him, you ought to be dead. But kill the sucker and just get rid of him. Is what I think they should do if I was, uh, you know, king of America. And, and, hey, that, that'd work out. Can I have your vote? No, I'm just Look at verse, look at verse uh, 14. But if a man come, uh, let's skip that. We already talked about that. Uh, look at verse 15. This is where God gets more serious than we do. And he that smiteth his father. Look what it says. He that smiteth his father or his mother. So this is a child that hits their father or mother. Shall be surely put to death. Do you think they had issues with that in Israel? Little punk teenagers. I'm tough. I'm going to beat up my dad. Death penalty. Look at verse 16. And he that stealeth a man. It's talking about kidnapping. And selleth him. Or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. You know there was a time in America where kidnappers were given the death penalty? Not anymore. Now, you know, some pedophile takes a child and does all sorts of things with him, and he, you know, they get a slap on the hand, on the wrist. But the Bible says put him to death. Look at verse 17. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. 
And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone, or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed. So this is now we're moving, we're moving on from the death penalty. You know, two guys were fighting. And, and he die not, but keepeth his bed. So he, had to, he was bedridden for a while. And he riseth again, so he survives, and walketh abroad upon his staff. Then shall he that smote him be quit. That word quit there is our word like acquitted, like he's not guilty because he didn't kill him. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. Let me tell you something. You take these guys today, outside of bars, who think they're tough, and they want to fight. Look, you put them in prison for two months, that, they're, they're in vacation. I don't have to worry about right now. Three square meals a day? Praise the Lord. That's what they're thinking. You take these same guys and you say, hey, you really hurt that guy. He's got a $10,000 uh, you know, uh, bill. And instead of the taxpayers paying for it, you're going to have to work it off. Yeah. You start solving some of those problems. You see, the prison system is out of whack. If you just follow what the Bible says, look at verse 20. And if a man smite his servant, you say, well, what happens if they don't pay it? Then they become a servant. <laughs> so they pay it off. And if a man smite his servant... Or is made with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. And obviously, if you smite your servant, and they can't work for you for two days, and you've got to you know, pay to heal them up, then you're losing money, so you don't have to pay, because that's your punishment. You're losing money. It's like, why are you beating up your own servant? Uh, look at verse uh, 22. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Exodus 21. Often skipped during Bible studies by preachers. And we've talked about the law, law of God concerning slavery. we talked about the law of God concerning the death penalty. Look at the next thing. We talk about the law of God concerning uh, life at conception. You say, what are you talking about? Look at verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman with child. That's, the Bible doesn't use the word pregnant. It uses the word with child. A woman with child so that her fruit depart from her. So that's, her fruit is her child, and it depart from her. You say, what are you talking about? If men are striving, so the guys are kind of fighting or messing around, and they hurt a woman to the point where she has a miscarriage. She loses her fruit. And yet, notice, notice the terminology, no mischief follows. What that means is they weren't doing it mischievously, or they weren't doing it with bad intention. They were, they were messing around. They, they didn't mean to cause the baby to die. Notice, it says, and no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished. Notice, he's still punished. According as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay the judges uh, determined. Because it's like manslaughter. You accidentally killed a person. You didn't do it on purpose, so we're not going to put you to death, but you're going to be punished. Look at verse 23. And if any mischief follow, so is a man who is trying to cause a woman to lose a child, look what it says, then thou shalt give life for embryo. Is that what it says? Then thou shalt give life for tissue of blood. Is that what it says? Then thou shalt give life for life. That's what the Bible says. Life, you say, is a baby in the womb alive? Yes, it is. It's, you know, and our, and our society is so hypocritical today. Because our society, you know, a man kills his wife and she's with child. Like, you know, we often think about, uh, remember the Scott Peterson t- trial? Where the man killed his wife and she was pregnant and it was two counts of murder. Because it was... Because there was a child that was alive. Amen. Mm-hmm. But then our same society will allow a woman to walk into a clinic somewhere and have that same child put to death. And now it's not alive. Now it's not a human. Now it's an embryo. Now it's a blob of tissue. You're insane. The Bible says life for life. Go with me real quickly. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 1. 
And I, you know, I could preach an entire sermon on this, and I will at one point uh, soon do that or whatever. But just let me show you one verse on this. Jeremiah chapter number 1, and, and uh, look at verse number uh, 5. Jeremiah chapter number 1, and verse number 5. God is speaking to this great man of God, Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter number 1, and verse 5, towards the end of your New Testament, after the book of Isaiah, one of those major prophets, before you get to the book of Ezekiel. In Jeremiah chapter number 1, and verse 5, God says, before I formed thee in the belly. He says, before I even formed you in the womb, He said, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto nations. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says before Jeremiah was even formed, before you could get that little picture where he just looks like a little ball, you know, the Bible says God had already ordained him to be a prophet, a preacher. And you say, why is America in such a bad shape? I wonder how many Jeremiahs we've killed on the altar of just, you know, having fun, on the altar of having no responsibility, on the altar of just being a whore, on the altar of not taking responsibility for your children and having children and raising them and loving them. On that altar, I wonder how many people have died and they say, well, it's not a human. It's a human. It's a lie. The Bible says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Exodus 21 has a lot to do with our society, doesn't it? God's law and life at conception. Let me tell you something. Christians ought to be anti-abortion. Period. Abortion is murder. Period. You say, well, what do you, you know, obviously we live in America and whatever. But if, if God had His way, every person who's ever had an abortion would have the death penalty because it's murder. Now look, we don't live in that society today. That's where Jesus said, remember the woman, the adulterous woman? She was caught in adultery. And He said, you know, he that hath the first, you hath no sin, cast the first stone. They didn't live in Old Testament Israel. So He said, you know, go off and sin no more. Obviously we believe that God, you know, has grace and God can forgive you and God loves you. I understand that. You've had an abortion before. Hey, ask God to forgive you and don't do it again. But let me tell you something. It's murder and it's wrong and we ought to take a stand against it. And every doctor and every nurse that assists is, is part of that crime. It's wrong. And today people don't want to admit that. and people don't. The Bible says life for life. It's a human being. Look at verse 24. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Can I just give you one more thing? Do I have time? I got five minutes. Let's do this quick. Look at verse 26. Actually, we already dealt with verse 26 and 27 because we were dealing with that when we were talking about servants. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out of his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. Look at verse 28. This is the last, last uh, thing I want to talk about. If an ox gore a man or a woman, that he die, an ox, we're talking about an animal, he gores a human being, and that animal dies... And then the ox, look what it says, shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall be eaten, uh, be, uh, shall not be eaten, excuse me, but the owner of the ox shall be quit, or acquitted. Say, so what are we talking about now? We're talking about God's law on animal rights. Say, so, well, you know, we live in a society today that oftentimes puts animal rights above human rights. What are you talking about? We live in a society that prides itself on not allowing shampoo to be tested on rabbits, but allows 3,000 
children today to be killed in abortions. But, but that's okay. You know, obviously, you know, we don't advocate hurting animals or anything like that, and I'll get to that here in a second. But I want you to see that when it comes to God's, you know, how God sees it, He sees the life of a human above the life of an animal. He says if the ox uh, gore a man or a woman that they die, then that ox shall be surely stoned. But you know that today in America, today, 2012, a dog will attack a child and they will not put that dog to death. You think I'm joking, I'm not. We live in a society that worships animals. Look at verse 29. But if the ox were wont to push with his horns, that word want there means you've already known he's got a tendency of doing this. If the ox were wont to push with his horns in times past, and it has been testified to his owner. So his owner has already had people say, hey, you know that ox there, he likes to hurt people. We better be careful with that. And he has not kept in him, kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Do you see that? Here's what I love when I read like the, gods, the, the laws of the Old Testament. Is that God is just advocating everybody taking responsibility for their own actions. You don't have nanny state government. You don't have, you know, our, our mother, the United States federal government, Obama and the congressman. You know, today our, our children have been taught in public school and through college and universities. We've been taught that we are just supposed to be pampered by the government. The government's supposed to supply our every whim. It's our nanny. It's supposed to take care of us. That's not the government that God instituted. God didn't institute a government where, where you're going to have all these police and they're going to tell you what to do. And you're gonna hire, have you ever thought about how dumb Congress is? Honestly. We hire people. Their full-time job, year after year after year, is to make up laws. Does that make sense to anybody? We hire, you say, you know, how many laws do they have in the Bible? Right here. They didn't add any more than this. You know, today, you, you, break, you probably broke 15 laws today that you didn't even know existed because these people's jobs are just to make laws. You know, and I'm not saying, obviously, they've got, you know, Congress, you know, whatever, Constitution, checks and balances. I get it. But, you know, the Bible just tells us, hey, take responsibility for yourself. You got an ox and it killed someone? Kill that ox. You got an ox and you knew that it was wont to do that type of stuff, you're going to be put to death. Look at verse 30. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give the ransom for his life, whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son, or have gored a daughter, according to his judgment, shall it be done unto him. If the ox, look what it says, if the ox shall push a manservant, or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. You see that? So if he kills a man, the ox is killed. If he kills somebody else's servant, you've got to give that guy money, because you killed a servant, and then you've got to kill the ox. Look at verse 33. And if a man shall open a pit, I like all these, you know, hypotheticals that got you. you know, I guess there's a lot of people doing this in those days. But he says, if a man should open a pit, so it's just a guy working away, he, he dug this hole. Or if a man shall dig a pit and not cover it. So he dug a hole, but he didn't cover it. And an ox or an ass fall there. The owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them and the dead beast shall be hit. So he says, you dug a pit, you caused an animal to die because you dug a pit, you didn't cover it, and an animal fell in and died. He says, you got to pay for that animal. Look what it says, uh, verse 34. 
the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owners of them and the dead beast shall be his. And if one man's ox hurt another then that he die, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it and the dead ox also shall they divide. I, I want you to understand this. There's an ox. It kills a human. You put the ox to death. There's an ox. It kills another ox. You just split the difference. You take the dead ox and you split them in half. You take the live ox and sell it. You split it in half and no harm, no foul. Because there's less value to an animal than there is to a human being according to God. But not in America today. Let me show you one verse. We're done right here. Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter number 12. Do you believe in, in animal rights? I don't believe in animal rights at all. I don't believe in animal rights. You tell me you want to eat or whatever. I don't care. Do it. We're out with the teenagers on Monday night. We asked them about pizza, and they're like, we like vegetarian. I said, you see these right here? <laughs> these are not for vegetables. <laughs> I eat animals. <laughs> He's like, you're, 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 you know, you, we should give money to PETA or whatever. Someone said to me, PETA stands for people eating tasty animals. <laughs> but, you know, you say, are you, are you for, now listen to me, listen to me. I am not for animal cruelty. Look at you're there in Proverbs chapter number 12, look at verse 10. Look what it says. Proverbs chapter number 12, look at verse 10. Look what it says. A righteous man, do you see that? Proverbs chapter number 12 and verse 10. We're done right here. A righteous man, look what it says, regardeth the life of his beast. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Do you see that? A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. Let me tell you something. You've got some kid who just enjoys to strangle cats because he just likes to see them die, there's something wrong with that kid. (laughs) There's something wrong. A righteous man regarded the life of his beast. Okay? I'm not for animal cruelty. But, in the same token, today, people, people would probably get a worse punishment for, like, killing an animal than they would for, like, molesting a child. People would get a worse punishment in our society today for animal cruelty than they would for, like, doing, you know, robbing somebody or beating somebody up. And it's wrong. And I hope you understand, go back to, you know, you don't have to go back anywhere, but I hope you understand in Exodus 21, you know that chapter that you would just kind of skip by? Uh, let's not preach on that, it's all these laws. It seems like it had a lot of laws that we dealt with in our society today. Sanctity of human life, animal rights, um, you know, slavery, we know that's a big problem, <laughs> you know. Or uh, the death penalty. And what I'd like you to understand is that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And even though they're not laws that apply to our society today, there's still principles we can grasp from that. Where we can teach our children, hey, treat animals right, but they're not the same as a human being. Or, you know, people that murder should be put to death. And uh, different things like that. Let's go out and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for allowing us to be able to uh, study the Bible. And Lord, every time we open up your scriptures, we know that we can learn something from your word. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen.